Hello, and welcome to Think Fit, Be Fit podcast. My name is Jennifer Schwartz. I'm the hostess and creator of this podcast where we are dedicated to effective thinking for potent exercise. And today's topic is all about running economy and feet, which is actually one of my favorite subjects because I have a lot of personal and professional experience with foot strength. But first, I have to let you guys know about all the exciting announcements for Think Fit Be Fit. We have a new website thinkfitbefitpodcast.com and I would love it if you would head on over there and sign up for our newsletter. It is intended for you to dive deeper with us and uh, like take advantage of our unique view on muscles and this portal to a new way of respecting the body and engaging in really connected, empowered exercise. Learning and enjoying the process is kind of a buzzy term, but I just want to let you guys know that we take learning seriously and want to take our listeners, you, on that journey with us and through us. I'd also like to let you know about the Think Fit Be Fit Facebook page, and Instagram page at Think Fit Be Fit Podcast on both platforms. We will be sharing uh, lots of fun stuff on there, including live, uh, I guess, videos, and where we're going to like go into the resources that we share on the podcast. But first and foremost, go get on the newsletter so you can stay tuned in and that you don't miss an episode. The conversation that we are sharing today is with Rick Miriam of Engaging Muscles. This is a conversation about running economy, foot mechanics, what that means for muscles and strength, and something really important called force absorption through the body. We also talk about different types of running shoes and the marketing terms around them and Rick has a lot of experience with this so that's why he's here. I also share some personal and professional experience with my own feet and knee health, uh, my ankle health and soccer, soccer cleats and speed training. So this is packed full of really fun information and probably new information for most of our listeners because the feet are so overlooked in just about every fitness program. Um, Like, I get really annoyed when the foot strength protocol is just to like pick up a paper a, a towel off the floor or pick up marbles there's a lot more to it and that's what this is about this is about all the layers of it and literally the layers of the shoe and we don't talk about 
anatomy too much so but we do talk about the functional anatomy piece of the foot and I'm so excited to share that with you guys so before we start please head on over to thinkfitbefitpodcast.com sign up for the newsletter it will make me so excited and so happy and I'd be so pleased to share all the information that will give you access to a higher level of fitness. So without further ado, Rick Miriam is here. He's based in Texas and you can find him at engagingmuscles.com. Find me at impactyourfitness.net as well as Instagram at impact underscore your underscore fitness and on Twitter at Jen Impact. I look so forward to hearing from you. Please enjoy this fun episode about the feet. Sure. Uh, my name is Rick Merriam and I have a uh, website blog uh, called engagingmuscles.com. Um, I'm on YouTube, Twitter. I have a new podcast that uh, I'm trying to uh, wrap my head around. Uh, that's also called Engaging Muscles, so the Engaging Muscles podcast. Um, and that's, uh, that's pretty much it. I think for me, I love the name engaging muscles <laughs> oh, thank and you. of course, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, how do you think people find you and respond to that idea of helping working through old injuries, current injuries and, resolving tightness through engaging muscles instead of I'm guessing you're taking people away from the idea of stretching a lot and lengthening and um, beating up their tissue with balls and tools. You know, it's interesting you say that because I think you're the first person that's ever said, wow, I really like that name. Uh, No, seriously, because it just, you know, it's, it came to me, I have a pretty good sense for business and marketing, especially. Um, and it kind of came to me one day when I started this whole thing that that was a good name. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, you kind of, you kind of know where I came, where it came from. It came from like, you know, instead of, instead of saying something that related to activating muscles, I was like, wow, engaging is kind of, is very positive, which mm-hmm. it turns out is very good for marketing. Um, and then adding the muscles piece, but you're the first person to actually mention the name, but I, ever since I first did it, I, I've, you know, I was happy that that's what I chose to brand, you know, for my brand. And at the time that I did it, uh, I didn't even know what I was doing, meaning, you know, I, I was working. So backstory, uh, mm-hmm. I moved from Connecticut, you know, basically my wife and I packed up our car, left everything in storage and drove to Texas with basically nothing but what we had packed in our car, which is an interesting story in and of, in and of itself. Mm-hmm. But I'm glad we did it when I, we did because I was recognizing that the economy was starting to plummet. So this is just to give your listeners an idea. Yeah. This is 2009. Uh, early 2009 that we moved here and it w- it turned out to be probably the best thing we've both we've done ever in our lives and, and definitely the biggest risk that we've ever taken 
individually and together. It was to move to Texas or Dallas specifically. But long story short is I started, uh, you know, it took a while to finally find work, got my job at Parker. So if anybody doesn't know that backstory, I, I taught kinesiology at Parker University which is in Dallas. And that is a chiropractic college, if you're not familiar with it. Oh, that's but, right. Yeah. Yeah. But they actually have a massage therapy school, uh, you know, that's on the campus and affiliated with the university, which is a very unique situation for a massage school. And it was a great fit for me because I, I taught at a really good school in Connecticut. And so when I came here, that was a really good fit. And I had always kind of envisioned when I traveled that, uh, you know, if I ever did move and every time I traveled, I was like, why do I live in Connecticut? So I always kind of saw myself moving somewhere else. Warmer was, you know, something that a warmer climate was a huge thing for my wife, but I kind of knew the area a little bit because my best friend used to live in a suburb of Dallas and I kind of knew the area as far as business and that kind of thing. So long story short, have my job teaching kinesiology, but it's tri-semesters and, you know, that's not consistent. And so I, I, you know, the vibrant five fingers at the time were like a big deal. They were just starting to be, you know, just kind of take off where you could barely, it was the very age of stinky feet, right? It was very difficult to get your hands on them at that time. I mean, they were selling out like crazy. And then of course the book born to run had taken off. And that was really why the viral five fingers took off was because of the book mm -hmm. born to run, which if you haven't read it is a great book, but long story short is I, I said, well, you know what? I could actually do this. I could work at a running shoe store. And I knew really nothing about running shoes at the time but I was looking for a consistent job and then, uh, you know, see where things go from there. So anyway, I start working at a running shoe store and the manager there was a really interesting guy. And the, my first interview, I had three interviews, believe it or not, and they actually paid very well for retail, um, extremely well. And then they allowed me to hand out my business card uh, when I eventually started to open my practice, which was not too long after that. But long story short is, you know, he says, you know, you need to read this book, Born to Run. I read the book, Born to Run. The Vibrant Five Fingers are taking off. And now I'm in this whole running shoe deal trying to be an employee, which I've never been a great employee. But I'm trying because I'm, it's like, you know, really, I needed the consistent work, blah, blah, blah. But what I was getting at with that is actually, I'm, I kind of lost what I was getting at at that. We, we, oh, okay. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what happened was he being a really, really interesting guy, it's, it's even hard to wrap my head around how to explain this guy. But, you know, at that time, I think Twitter was just starting to come around Facebook, uh, iPhones, you know, all these different things with social. And he's like, you got to start a blog you got to start, you got to get on Twitter, you got to get on Facebook, blah, blah, blah. I didn't even know what I was doing, but I had a lot of time on my hands, relatively speaking. So I started my blog and engaging muscles came to me at that time. And then that just kind of stuck. So that's, mm. that's the backstory on that. And I'm glad mm -hmm. that I actually chose that. But again, it's interesting that you bring that up because nobody's ever brought that up. Yeah. Before. I mean, engaging, I'm always 
drawn to people that are positive uplift than a scarcity tack. Yeah, you know? exactly. Um, nobody's ever brought that up before. And where I was going with that is that nobody ever comes in as a client or I also do consulting online now mm -hmm. and nobody ever really brings that up. You know, they know, I don't know if they actually wrap their head around what I'm trying to say with the branding. Do you know what I mean by that? Mm -hmm. Like they, they don't ever bring up, rarely will they bring up, you know, your activating muscles. And I think a lot of it, and you might be able to relate with this, is that they're, they're, they're so kind of, um, they've heard for so long that this is tight, this needs to be stretched, this mm -hmm. needs to be released, blah, blah, blah. At the same time, when they read my content, they recognize that, you know, I, I would say that I'm a pretty big thinker in the world. And, and I would say the same thing for you, as far as we are saying something different. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and they do recognize that part and that's attractive to them. And by the way, that was also huge for me with teaching was because I was kind of a big thinker thinking differently. That was very attractive to the university and, uh, the students, uh, love that piece of it. And that really came from Tom Purvis. Mm -hmm. Um, as you probably know, he was a huge, huge influence on my, on my life and on my career. Oh my gosh. So this gets brought up all the time on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so of course you guys, uh, that'll be in the show notes. If you're yeah. not sick of hearing it, he just put out a ton of new content, which I'm really excited about. Yeah. I saw that yeah. you shared that and I saw that Brad shared and I was excited about that too. Yeah. Um, that's really great. Um, I don't really, I haven't talked to uh, Tom in years, but, but, huge, huge influence uh, on my podcast. I recently had Brad Thorpe on and he said, you know, I was talking to him about, you know, I I've heard, and I don't know that this is true, but I can relate to it in my life is your best thinking is in your twenties. And mm -hmm. I, I came across Tom Purvis in my twenties. Me too. And, yeah. And that was also true for Brad. And I was kind of curious if he felt that that impacted the rest of his years up until now, as far as his thinking, because for me, if I hadn't met Tom Purvis at the time that I did, I don't think I'd be where I am today, as yeah. far as everything that I've done with teaching and thinking and growing and learning every day. I think a lot of people see me as somebody who thinks he knows everything, blah, blah, blah. But I mean, I, the people that really know me that is, know that I'm a learner and that I'm learning like literally with every client, mm. <clears throat> I learn something new and I keep, I continue to expand on that. Yeah. I mean, I've really found myself through that love of learning and continue to find new things all the time. And that really was given to me in those formidable years and meeting the RTS and MAT programs when I did, um, yeah, I can't, I mean, I can't even measure that. And I mentor or tutor young trainers. Um, and, you know, I can't, I, I mean, I sound like such a tool for Tom Burvis. Like, I'm like, you have to do this, you have to do. And <laughs> Yeah. Anyways, let's pivot to this engaging muscles idea. Um, okay. 
because I think when we talk about, I think there's a, it's the same conversation in a way that if we talk about something as, um, I want to say mysterious, but very, very potent as plantar fasciitis and running economy, right? Because, I mean, of course, all kinds of people get plantar fasciitis. I'm, Yeah, I think what I said to Brad, you know, again, he was, I just recently talked to him, so this is fresh in my mind, mm -hmm. is, um, you know, people don't know what they don't know. And I, I regularly say that on my, on, my, uh, on my blog, is that, you know, you don't know what you don't know, meaning that the person who's reading my content, I think a big part of the people who read my content or most of the people who read my content are people who um, are interested in plantar fasciitis or orthotics because they're struggling with those things. Mm -hmm. um, I never saw the whole plantar fasciitis thing becoming, you know, for lack of a better term, part of my brand. I think it really has evolved into that. And, and I don't, I never really saw that coming. Really what happened was, I had a passion for the foot that mm -hmm. came, you know, originally came from my experience with the muscle activation techniques program. Because when I first totally. started talking about when I, for, so that first weekend, I think it was when I did the first weekend that I did it, which was very early on, he was talking about the foot. So this is Greg Roscoff was talking about the foot. And I'm looking around and you would know some of the people that were in the room. I, I won't bring up names, <laughs> but I'm looking around the room and I'm like, am I the only one here that doesn't know what he's talking about? And I had at that time a really good understanding of biomechanics based on what I learned from Tom Purvis. But then he kept bringing up Gary Gray and I had heard of Gary Gray. <laughs> and then I'm like, you know, as a learner, I'm like, I need to know more about this Gary Gray guy. So then I start studying with Gary Gray. And that's a whole thing. I won't get into that. But long story short is I'm understanding the chain reaction, for lack of a better term, mechanics that I had never really thought about before. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I, be, I had this passion for the foot and understanding the foot. And then when I started working in the running shoe store, you know, that was even bigger you know, that became even bigger. And then I, you know, I think the running store, I never thought about it this way, but I saw a lot of people with plantar fasciitis and I worked with people in the store. So another, another piece of this is the, literally the first day I was there, I said, well, you know, I have this background, which they were very interested in. And that's one of the reasons why they hired me. This is a very high end running shoe store, by the way. Uh, you know, they, like I said, they paid well. So they were very interested in my background. I said, well, I have the background that I have. How do you feel about me working on people or helping people in a way that maybe, you know, some of the other, you know, running shoe specialists couldn't do. And they said, we have no problem with that. As long as it's not busy, that would be great. And they looked at that as added value. And like I said, they were also super open to me passing out my business card and even having a sign at some point in the shoe area, which is huge too, right? Well, I know in Connecticut, I can tell you for sure, 
if I had worked in a running shoe store in Connecticut, it probably wouldn't have gone down like that. <laughs> you know, yeah, it would have I been mean, all about the yeah. store and blah, blah, blah. But they were super, super open to me promoting my work and doing my work. So long story short is for that year that I was there, I think I ended up being there two years. But for the year that I, where I was working more, I ended up working with the foot a lot. And, and then being able to complement that with the shoe, which mm -hmm. doesn't sound like much. But imagine you have this huge shoe wall and now you're, you're working on people's foot and lower leg mm -hmm. and you're able to fit them right there at that time with a new shoe, which was amazing. Like it was amazing experience. Like the people that work there would see people coming in that couldn't run and they're, le they're actually running outdoors, testing the shoes out or running indoors on the track. Like they couldn't run and now all of a sudden an hour later they're running. Like, and they're just blown away by it. It's I mean, amazing. there's crazy yeah. stories like that, but it was a huge experience because I was able to do the work and then complement it with the shoe. Mm -hmm. And I got really, really good at fitting running shoes. Um, and that's just the nature of doing it, right? Yeah, that's cool. I mean, yeah, it, it is definitely some, that is a fantasy of, all, I think a lot of neuromuscular therapists is that, wow, like we know that this stuff can make a pretty quick impact on the muscle's responsiveness and therefore support the body better and make more muscles available to be engaged, right? They just have the, everything's in a better position to receive and contract. So being able to measure it in that way and, and not in the lab way, right? In yeah. the, you went from a seven pain level to a two yeah, and see it over and over again. Like it's, it's, it's addicting. I, Oh, absolutely. And being part of that process with people is so rewarding, obviously. Um, that most of us, you know, probably have done it for a lot less than we're worth at times, right? And the other thing is I t have definitely fantasized about working, having a running shoe experience like that. <laughs> have you really? That's interesting. Because I, yeah. I, I was thinking... I have a foot, I have a foot enthusiasm, very okay. much. Well, no, I knew that part. I knew that part. But I, I wasn't thinking that you would, were thinking that way about running shoes because I... I mean, it's a real, it was a really unique experience and I kind of fell into it. I mean, I saw it as, wow, this might be something I could do. Like I mentioned before, I've never really spent a lot of time being an employee, mm -hmm. but it, I really needed consistency. And it really all came out of the Vibram Five Fingers. I had an interest in the Vibram Five Fingers at that time. Where can I get them? This place called Luke's Locker came up, you know, then I interview, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, just to give me an idea of there were so many different scenarios, but one that I've told on my blog in the past is this guy comes in, he's in, uh, you know, college age. He's the next day, he's literally flying abroad uh, to study abroad, right? He comes in uh, with wearing a Brooks Beast. And I don't know, I don't know if you know what a Brooks Beast is, but it's a, it's a motion control shoe yeah, anything Brooks I associate with 
brick-ish. Yeah, yeah. No, and you, you know, it's interesting you say that because it, it sounds like you can't actually visualize a shoe and I understand that, but it literally looks like a brick. I mean, it <laughs> resembles a brick more than any other shoe. Now, you've probably seen this shoe, yeah. but the way, at, where, the place that I worked and I think it's common in, among the, you know, basically the people that would sell running shoes in a specialty running shoe store is they would sell a Brooks Beast to somebody who either overpronated to the extreme or somebody who was like uh, extremely overweight and they, they saw them as crushing shoes, meaning that they would have to regularly change their shoe out because they were so heavy that they were crushing the shoe or ending up maybe on the outside of their shoe. Long story short is this kid's, you know, he's not overweight. He's in his, you know, twenties and he's wearing a Brooks Bees. So that's like right away my antenna's going off. Like what's going on with this, right? Because mm-hmm. you, you kind of had an antenna in that world, like we do in our world working one-on-one with, you know, patients or clients doing manual therapy or training, even in personal training, you kind of get a certain level of experience and, you know, certain things kind of trigger, you know, uh, what's going on here. Maybe you question from there, that kind of thing. So his parents tell me that he overpronates and that he is in pain. And he's been wearing this Brooks Beast since the podiatrist recommended it seven years ago or whatever it was, right? So you can kind of see the backstory. He goes to the podiatrist, he overpronates. The podiatrist is like, oh, you need to wear a motion control shoe, which if anybody's not familiar with that, that is beyond a stability shoe. Like that's more support than a stability running shoe. And a stability running shoe is basically a running shoe with an orthotic built into it. I okay. kind of forgot that, to be honest with you. Yeah. Yeah. So just to give you a little bit on that, if you pick up your shoe and on the inside of the shoe, not the inside where you'd actually slide your foot in, but the inside of the shoe uh, that would be on the, you know, closer to the midline of your body, mm-hmm. uh, there's this hard, very firm area that's built into the midsole cushioning. So you have the cushioning and it's like, you know, relatively soft, but then you have this firm area on the inside that is, you know, like an orthotic, it's preventing you from, you know, an air quotes rolling in too much, which mm-hmm. is actually rolling out, but that, that's a whole nother thing. Um, so so back to back to the story. I, I, my immediate thought was, oh, he overpronates. I heard that a lot. You know, I don't want, obviously I wasn't rolling my eyes in front of them, but you know, the, there's a lot of, lot of uh, my spidey sense is going off. Let's, let's put it that way. So now he, I said, well, let me take a look at him on the track. It was a slow time. It was during the week. He walks on the track, Jen, and I can like literally his medial malalis is mm-hmm. almost touching the ground like that's how much yeah that's how much he overpronated like i'm not exaggerating at all his medial malalis was literally like hovering off the ground every time he stepped that's how close he was both of them yeah both of them both of them now he's in pain and i'm saying seven years i don't know when it was but it, it had been years that he had been wearing this brooks beast and now he's in pain on the other side of this, right? Because he originally went to the podiatrist because he had pain. And then they gave him the Brooks Beast and he was fine. But now he has pain with the Brooks Beast, right? Yeah. So now we're on the other side of this whole thing. Of, and I've definitely heard that story, if you will. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So I work with him. It's slow enough that I work with his lower leg and feet, lower legs and feet. Now I'm doing this not on a table. I'm just doing it on the stool. <laughs> but, but long story short is he ends up leaving there two hours later, I want to say. It was slow as during the week. Two or three hours later. It might have even been three hours that I worked on him. Put him in a Nike Free. Now at that time it was a Nike Free 5.0 and it had a little bit of arch support. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And he gets on the track, he's walking, he's like, I don't have any pain. Now, I never knew what happened with him, but close to the time that I was leaving there, it was a busy Saturday, and these, this couple comes up to me, and they're like, uh, do you remember us? I said, no, I don't remember. And they said, oh, uh, you helped our son. You know, he was going to study abroad, and they told me he hadn't had pain since, right? So what I'm getting at with that uh-huh. whole story is, when I interact with podiatrists and they're telling me their, you know, their story, and it's usually somehow uh, confirming why people need orthotics or defending why people need orthotics, I know from every angle that there's more orthotics sold than what there really should be. And that right there is the extreme. Like, you, you couldn't overpronate any more than that kid was. Mm-hmm. He wasn't heavy. He wasn't heavy. That's a factor. I wouldn't say that he was going to the gym and doing anything related to fitness. I mean, I, he wasn't like, you know, I didn't look at him as being like, you know, go, you know, somebody who's super fit. So it wasn't like he was strong and now he's having pain with a Brooks beast. It was that probably his support system wasn't holding him up any longer his feet were so weak, you know, you know, the whole story, right? Mm -hmm. Basically, he's more fragile uh, now at 20 than he might have been when he was, uh, you know, 14 or whatever it was when he first got into the Brooks Bees. But long story short is a lot of people, if you understand running shoes, a lot of people could actually be walking around running with a running shoe that doesn't have stability built into it, stability mm-hmm. in air quotes, meaning it doesn't have an orthotic built into it. And um, they're able to run in, you know, an air quotes, a neutral shoe, right? So that's a weird conversation because you have to understand a lot in order to understand what the running shoes, what running shoes provide. And you're still giving them support, Right but it's not to the extreme of a stability shoe or a motion control shoe. And then of course, you know, with what we do, mm-hmm. um, you know, improving stability via the muscular system that a lot of people could run in even less shoe if you go that route. Right. So I think a lot of people see me as, Oh, you think people should wear minimal shoes, blah, blah, blah. And I have a lot of clients who I'll recommend a traditional conventional running shoe, but it's coming from a place of having a certain amount of knowledge about running shoes. So as an example, the shoe is going to be closer to flat. So it's not going to have a drop they're not running, you know, they might be running at a little bit of heel, yeah. But it's less drop than, you know, maybe somebody who doesn't understand running shoes and just kind of randomly says, oh, go to this running shoe store, you know, have them fit you for shoes. Well, that's mm-hmm. a disaster because the people who are at the running shoe store are looking at running shoes or looking at the foot 
in a flawed way, meaning, oh, you overpronate or you underpronate, and here's the shoes that fit into those categories, right? And it doesn't really work that way. And that's a piece of the puzzle that I think a lot of people can't see because either they sell orthotics or they don't know what they don't know as the person who, you know, is going to get running shoes, right? So it's a very interesting piece. And it's a big part of my practice, by the way. Mm-hmm. Running shoes have become a big, you know, from the, from the very beginning when I started my practice here in Dallas, uh, was a big part of my practice and has continued to be a big part of my practice. Mm-hmm. Now, that being said, a lot of my clients wear minimal shoes. Mm-hmm. Now, they don't run in minimal shoes, right? Yeah, but this can be two different things completely. Absolutely. Yeah, See, that's the other side of it. And I don't want to get too into the weeds on this. But if you're running in a running shoe that has a certain amount of support built in, you can run in a shoe that has a certain amount of support and cushioning, but it's closer to being minimal than it is to being overly, you know, overly supportive, right? It's a, it's a weird area there, but there are shoes and I can recommend some names. I can throw out some names here, but long story short, you should be exercising. Um, I think most people can be exercising or at least walking mm-hmm. in a minimal barefoot type shoe and at the very least walking at home in their bare feet is huge i think for just a little bit of strengthening you know you know foot on ground outside of doing isometric exercises blah blah blah. Mm -hmm. there's a certain amount of strengthening that goes along with just walking around your house in bare feet and you've probably heard me say this before if you have wood floors i definitely don't recommend walking on socks on a bare floor or a <laughs> wood floor, excuse me, walking in socks on a wood floor on a regular basis because it's like walking on ice and you're shortening your stride and things aren't moving at the right yeah. time. And I actually think that's a, that could actually contribute to plantar fasciitis if you're on the edge of having plantar fasciitis and you don't know it. Shortening the stride of the not just the so not just the hips going back and forth but also when the foot lands it's doing this instead of rotating so i meant what i did was sorry we're we can see each other when the foot lands the the stride can be short but also the toes kind of grip the floor like a flip-flop and that's an extreme version is a flip-flop because your toes are just hanging onto the front there and clawing like how a bird perches, right? So the bird has to um, gra- grasp around to perch, and like your foot's trying to do that if the if it's not landing on a I don't know a a, a surface that would allow it to. And then um, with the flip flop, it's definitely grabbing. It's like grabbing, trying to grab the earth while you're supposed to be rotating and pronating. And then, okay, yeah. Yeah, and I think it, another layer of it is the, the friction. Um, because yeah. you're shortening your stride unconsciously or subconsciously, I guess is the mm-hmm. proper term. Subconsciously with socks on, the person's gonna shorten their stride and not knowing what they don't know, they're not really thinking about that, right? They're just like, mm-hmm. oh, my feet are cold let me put some socks on and walk on these wood floors. (laughs) And I think the reality is you can probably relate with this. I think the reality is a lot of people 
have plantar fasciitis, but they don't have the symptoms that go along with plantar fasciitis. What I mean by that is if you were to go to the menial side of the foot and you were to palpate there, mm -hmm. some people would be on the ceiling, but they're not claiming that they have plantar fasciitis, meaning they don't have the symptoms mm -hmm. that go along with plantar fasciitis. Now we know why that probably is, right? We know why a lot of people probably have the begin, let's say, let's call it the beginning stages of plantar fasciitis without actually having the symptoms. It's because they're walking around for years in shoes that are overly supportive and they have muscles that can't drive motion from the top down, mm -hmm. um, possibly, you know, and then we know what's happening from the bottom up. And so there's inflammation there, right? Mm -hmm. And that's, I think that's a, that's something to think about. Um, another way to say that, and I'm sure you've heard this, if somebody comes in with plantar fasciitis, it could be anything. And you'll definitely hear this with runners. This is consistent with runners. Whatever it is that they have, they'll often on the table, they'll say, you know, I've been running for a couple of years now and I haven't had any injuries. I don't know what happened. <laughs> you know, I'm not sure how this came to be, you know, and you know, a lot of times I won't say anything. I'll just let them talk their way through it. But long story short is a lot of times those things were there. They just didn't have the symptoms. And to go back to a, you know, I think the seven habit or the seventh habit of the seven habits of highly effective people, they weren't sharpening the saw because, you know, foam rolling is not sharpening the saw, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and stretching is not sharpening the saw. So if you're not doing anything to sharpen the saw and you're wearing overly supportive shoes because you don't know what you don't know, a lot of these things can come up. And if you know runners, runners just love to run, right? And if they can't run, that's a huge piece of their life. I mean, I have people that will come in and they'll say running, and this is, you know, from a marketing selling standpoint is something huge as far as listening, you know, in those very early stages, running is gets me through my work day. So if yeah. you hear somebody say, when you first meet with them and they're injured and they say running is what gets me through my work day, right there, you know what's important to them. That's yeah. their pain point for lack of a better term, right? Mm -hmm. And you know how important that is to them and how much they'll do to get to the point that they can run again, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, no, they will. And you know what? You know, my, my mind always goes to this hypothesis that I've made, which is, you know, there's, there's four huge reasons why people can't get over their injuries. Um, one of them has to do with the sharpening of the saw, right? You need to have strategic strengthening around your sport or your activity, whether that's gardening or you're a linebacker, right? Um, and another one has to do with the body not being able to withstand forces, um, either that be chemically, meaning that would relate to like gut inflammation or a lack of sleep. Um, that would be, you know, the body not being able to reach um, homeostasis. They're always stuck in like overload and allostatic high load you know, their nervous systems on high alert. And then another one has to do with mindset. 
this would fall into that probably, right? You know, if you have to run, it's never, if you have to do it in your mind, you're not creating a healthy boundary between what is going to nourish you and what's going to complement you and help you grow. You know, you're just digging yourself into this hole basically without that mindset of, oh my gosh, I'm so privileged to run and I'm going to work hard to make sure that running is a part of my life. Those are two completely different mindsets and two different people. Even if that one person went through that transition, they would feel and enjoy their physical physicality more, right? With that shift. Um, and then what's the fourth one? I think I wrapped up. I wrapped that up pretty good. Anyways, so the, the heart of this podcast, right? It's think fit, right? So instead of running, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> instead, instead of creating a narrative for yourself about, I have to get my, my, you know, my foot in a stronger shoe. I need more support on my shoe, on my foot and protect my foot. We taught, we, we mentioned support system earlier. So I'd like to just talk about that, what it means um, as far as, you know, I see it as internal support structure and an external support structure. The shoe marketing and the shoe and the orthotic marketing is to provide an external support structure. And we're over here with our tin hats on saying, no, muscle, muscle, muscle. So what do we mean by that? Support, internal support system. Yeah, I think ultimately, you know, having had many conversations with podiatrists in the past. This is perfect. Um, right? <laughs> is I don't perfect. know if you've seen any of these exchanges, but, uh, you know, I, I could write a book on my exchanges with podiatrists. And, and I have to say, I don't really <laughs> enjoy it. I mean, to a certain extent, I have fun with it because it's fun to make fun of them in some ways. But, but long story short is I really, one of the things that came out of that, and I'll go on to what you're saying. One of the things that I always, I always come away learning something from those exchanges mm -hmm. as painful as they can be. Uh, meaning you start to question humanity at some point. Yeah. Uh, I'm just going to have to mute and let you talk because I'm about to laugh. In the, you know, in the early, you know, having had so many conversations with podiatrists or discussions or debates, whatever you want to call them, uh, you really start to question humanity in the early stages of that. And I've gotten to the point where it's so easy to just back them in a corner and, and then they start saying things like, um, you know, I don't sell them very often, not, you know, I recognize that not many people need them, blah, blah, blah. But to go on to, your, to what you're saying, I just want to throw this in. It's also important to recognize, and this came up fairly recently. I have a guy, a runner who comes in, I would say he comes in once or twice a year. It would really depend on his injuries. And, and running is extremely important to him. And he recognizes that really, and a lot of, people, a lot of my clients do feel this way. It's like, why would I do this? Why would I go to say physical therapy when I could come to you once, or why would I go to physical therapy when I could come to you three times? You know what I mean? Those kinds of things. Like I'm, you know, I have the means, right? That's important. I have the means and I'm going to pay you $690 for three sessions because I know in the past, 
every time I come in, I am performing better and I'm able to do what I was able to do. And things that weren't, weren't even things that I brought up are better from what I did or, you know, the money that I spent. Um, I see value in what you do, blah, blah, blah. Right. And yeah, I'm sure you know that too, but long story short is this guy comes in, um, this is a few weeks ago now, and he is wearing a Brooks launch. And a Brooks launch, if you're not familiar with it, is a neutral shoe. It doesn't have a lot of the bells and whistles that some of the other shoes would have. Relatively speaking, it has a good amount of cushion and there is a drop to the shoe. Uh, it doesn't have a trustic system. I don't know if you know what a trustic system is, Jen. Uh, if you turn the, a shoe over, it has something to do with a truss, is that, uh, the, uh, is that the uh, word? Yeah, and it actually technically yeah. I should say a trustic system, I think is actually a, probably a trademark name for I wanna say ASICs, but okay. all running shoes have, well, many of the more supportive running shoes have this plastic piece on the bottom. So if you turn the shoe over and you're looking at the part of the shoe, which is called the outer sole, that mm -hmm. actually, that's the part that would actually touch the ground, that's a layer of the cushioning, right? The stack height in the waist of the shoe. Okay. Mm -hmm. There's this plastic piece and it's called, mm -hmm. again, I think it's a trademark thing, but they all have them. So I'm going to say it's called a trustic system, but I think that's a trademark name, but they all ultimately have those. And so a launch does not have that to just to give you an idea of, of, of one of the bells and the whistles that come along with these over supportive. Okay running shoes. Okay. So long story short is he comes in, he's been wearing that shoe for quite some time and, you know, regularly changes it out. But when he comes in, I've, I'm, you know, and you're taught this in massage school, you know, you're, you're watching their gait as an example without them knowing that you're watching their gait. And to some extent, I think this is built into us, isn't it? Like mm -hmm. oh, you're yeah. seeing things, <laughs> as, you know, you don't have to actually watch them walk. You're seeing things when they're not thinking about you watching them walk, which is better than when you're actually intentionally watching them walk where they know you're watching them walk. So he literally takes two steps into my office. Now we walk from the reception area over to my office he literally takes a couple steps and I was like, what's going on with your shoe? And he's like, what do you mean? And I was like, well, that shoe's throwing you into pronation way too fast. And he's like, really? And I was like, yeah, I, I said, I know you've been wearing that shoe for quite some time, meaning, you know, he does change the shoe out and, and shoe, shoe companies are famous for changing the shoes. So you could love a shoe. Oh, I know. I just right? saw this with a new balance and I was like, God, we did, we worked so hard on her foot and her hip rhythm and timing. And then New Balance throws in something on the outside of the, the lateral side of the, anyways. Yeah. I'm right. Frustrated. Yeah. No, it's true. So it's, and that shoe has been around a long time and, and Brooks has said that they were going to stop making the shoe and a lot of people that love this shoe and it, it is a relatively speaking, it's a good shoe. Um, they, you know, they've kept it around, but, so we get into the conversation later on after we get him on the table, we start talking more in depth about his shoe. And I said, where did you buy the shoe? And I had a feeling what he was going to say. He bought the shoe online for a discount. Now, a lot of your listeners might not know this, but 
the way I understand it, I think this is true. I don't think it's a marketing thing for shoe companies. Running shoes actually have a shelf life. So mm -hmm. if you buy a running shoe online at a discount, you're buying a shoe that's lost some of its ability to react to the ground or its responsiveness, right? And that's ultimately what I saw when I saw him wearing this shoe is it just didn't, he, when he got that shoe, it was probably not right. It's possible. That's a huge that that, nugget. Of, yeah, absolutely. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's possible that that shoe was okay if he had brought it, got it when it was, you know, didn't have the shelf life, blah, blah, blah. And it's possible that he even wore that same model at some point. But long story short is I'm recognizing that he is overly pronating or that shoe is driving him into pronation way too fast and way too far, right? Mm. So uh, we, we start to talk about his shoe, where he got his shoe, why he shouldn't buy the discount shoes online. And if he does kind of pay attention to how, you know, what model it is, how long has it been off the shelf, blah, blah, blah. So we go through that. And what I'm getting at with that is a lot of people are walking around with shoes <laughs> that uh, might not even be overly supportive. Most likely they are. But mm -hmm. long story short is throwing them into pronation way too fast to the point that they're actually acting like an orthotic in the sense that they can't actually supinate out of that position. Can you visualize that? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I can. I mean, and I think there's a trend towards that, Jen. Like, um, I think the younger, I say younger because every time I say this, I, feel, I sound old. But like, you know, let's say like high school kids, when I look at shoes where the high school kids are wearing, like the Adidas Boost is a shoe that a lot of people are wearing. And there's a lot of shoes that kind of have come down, you know, after the Adidas Boost came into the, into my, you know, once I saw the Adidas boots, I started to see this more with other shoes that shoes were throwing people further into pronation than they should, uh, you know, much faster, much far, much further. And um, that's ultimately what was happening with this shoe. So I just wanted to point that out. It's just it, funny uh, that it's like the opposite of what we were dealing with five, six years ago. Cause exactly. like the opposite was denying pronation. Yeah, and that's where I was going with this because, again, kind of a conspiracy theory, I think, and to some extent. But when you pay attention to these things, you kind of see like, wow, is this another way for them to sell shoes to say, okay, let's go to the opposite extreme. Instead of forcing people to the outside of their foot, which is ultimately what happens when these shoes, when they start to break down, is the shoe actually forces them to the outside of their foot. But if you watch somebody in a stability shoe walk, you can see that basically their foot hits the ground and nothing happens. Like it's like everything's moving above the foot, but nothing really through oh the foot goodness. is moving. Right. And yes. there's a lot to that. And again, they don't, it doesn't have to be a stability shoe. If you look at some shoes, I think Brooks and definitely Asics, um, they have a lot built onto the inside of the shoe. Again, the inside of the shoe, meaning not where you put your foot in, but the inside of the shoe, meaning closer to the midline, they're really thick on the forefoot and that actually controls pronation too. So it doesn't have to be a stability shoe. It could be a neutral shoe, again, in air quotes, because I don't believe in neutral shoes as a, as a name. I think that's a marketing term. And it, fits, <laughs> it fits people into a category because I don't think that's a legit thing when you really look at what's actually happening. 
but neutral is a category of a shoe. And if you look at ASICs, they actually build up the forefoot to where when mm -hmm. the foot comes into the ground, it's actually controlling pronation as well. And by the way, those shoes actually have a trustic system, which I look at as controlling the front foot from the rear foot or the rear foot from the front foot. So that's another layer of it, isn't it? Yeah. It's the, so this is the, the fun part right now is how much this connects to like my story and where I come at from being a foot enthusiast. Um, so there's like multiple parts of this. Okay. One is that starting in my starting of MAT career, um, I, my practice folks were ballet of the ballet world, which as a soccer player, I was a, a competitive soccer and skier. That that's how I grew up. And I mean, well, I did all the sports. I mean, I, I had a very high energy level. <laughs> I got dropped off at every single court or field that I could anyways. Um, <laughs> and, but that was of the very foreign to me was, you know, what those feet looked like and what those feet, how much abuse the, the ballet dancer, athlete, artist goes through. Okay. So that was one aspect that made me just open my eyes about the foot. Because by the way, all of the girls that I was practicing on and who are still my colleagues and friends, unstable SI, neck problems, spine, you name it. And, you know, part of that is from abuse of the foot and the toes. If, if I, I think that is the right word. I think they get a, those, the feet get totally abused in that sport. So the other part of that is I came into MAT as a client when I was young, um, right out of, you know, finishing my playing career at 23, 24 years old. And um, I had already had three knee surgeries at that point before I was 19, which isn't uncommon um, for soccer and basketball female players. I was totally blown away by how much impact the muscle activation at my feet had on my whole entire body, my posture, my knees, of course, my squat performance, because I was coming at it from a collegiate sport uh, place where I was squatting and, and um, we weren't deadlifting, but I, I was just learning all the, the, the lifts, you know, as, a, as an adult. And it increased my performance across the board um, and my flexibility and my posture. And um, I had neck issues from mountain biking that's related to chasing boys. Anyways, I was blown away by that. And then the third part of this that's really interesting is that professionally, I got involved with a, sh a cleat designer. Yeah, I saw that. Yes, that's, that's really where my, my intellectual um, hunger was met with feet and shoes. And so the exact thing you're talking about Basically, the foot, um, I call it, I call it the, the, the hoagie effect. I'm, I'm of the Philadelphia. Yeah, I'm familiar. <laughs> if you say grinder or hoagie here, nobody knows what you're talking about. Okay. In so uh, it was grinder, but I'm familiar. Yeah, yeah, a hoagie is a sandwich yes. in a sub-like form. Yes. Um, and 
I call it the hoagie effect, these cleats, okay? And soccer players, if you had to give them a body type, they're usually smaller than football players, okay? So, but somehow the football players have a very similar cleat style to the soccer players. And, you know, we could go into rugby and baseball and I've looked at all the cleats and I have lots of really um, good insights on what cleats look like and what the foot looks inside, looks like inside of the cleat more like, more importantly. Oh, I totally know what you're talking about. Yeah. And it's a hoagie. It goes like this. Men's dress shoe do the same thing. So um, audience, what I did was I just smushed my fingers together and created an arch within my the middle of my hand, like a sandwich or a taco. And that means every time they step on the ground, they're, they're just, you know, they're barely touching the ground and they're not getting, they're not absorbing and taking force up through the ground. Which I think is a huge missing piece in training any running sport. So that makes me just a little perplexed as to why we still have these shoes that want to absorb force when our foot is supposed to be absorbing force and using it throughout the body to propel motion. And I've taught this to my athletes on the field and through MAT sessions and consulting on their programs that this needs to be taught and this needs to be harnessed. Um, I've seen it all over the place in classes and in combine training. And besides the training aspect, the shoe aspect is so important, especially the cleat. So I'm coming at this from thinking about that, that foot posture landing on the ground over and over and over again. And then in the soccer world, they pretend like it becomes, the foot becomes a paddle, like a ping pong paddle. They, so they can like hit the ball stronger and tighter. No, that's wrong. It's totally wrong. Your, 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 your force is going into one part of the foot, one part of the shoe, um, that's probably why they all have de- deformed toes. Um, I guess ha- if they're moving into a hammer toe position, right. And when you start developing hammer toes, when you're like 14 years old, you're setting yourself up for injuries for the rest of your life. In my, like, besides people not being able to run and perform and, and do all the things they want to do, we are also talking about long-term orthopedic health, you know? Um, I know I'm like talking to the echo chamber right now, but I mean, if anybody, if, if you get anything from this whole conversation, it is your foot needs to move and your internal support structure cannot be accessed if you have too much shoe. Yeah. And I don't know if you can relate with this. What I've seen is a lot of the people that continue to play soccer after say high school maybe even college, not that they played in college, but, but they play, um, you know, in rec leagues or whatever you would call that. I, I have a client who is close to my age, female client, and she plays three or four nights a week. And, yeah. but here's where I'm going with that. Um, do you think, how many people do you see who continue to play soccer beyond high school and college who actually, who are actually bow legged or genuverum? for, you know, the people who te- know the technical stuff 
How yeah. many people do you, what do you think the percentage is? Cause I think it's high. I think it's high. I think it has to do, I think you're going to fall into a couple, there's two different categories that I've seen people fall into. And it is that um, various position, the knees bowing out. Um, it's almost like they're creating a big thigh gap <laughs> and the, yes. the oblong part is at the knee. Okay. Yep. So that's the visual if I could give it one. Um, I think it has to do with their tibia length, um, okay. that, like their, their genetics. I think they end up going that way if they have a long tibia and it goes the other way into like um, uh, a lot of lordosis and um, I guess, you know, pelvic shifting and SI stress if they're like me, which is a short tibia. Okay. That if I could give a general theme to that, because I have worked with a lot of adult soccer players, I've worked with professional soccer players, um, a lot of college soccer players. And, you know, it's one of the kind of, and I, you know, my program at Alexandria Soccer, which I will not be returning to, um, we had after this, you know, our hiatus right now, um, we're realizing that, uh, you know, I, there was one of the, when I would do the injuries, prevention screenings is what I would call them. And we would just have them drop down off of a bench and like, and I would video the, their landing mechanics. And that, that would be after a beep test. So we, I would stress them out and then do a landing test. And then we would have an ankle mobility screen after that, right after that. And it was one of the first things I did. I actually used to, um, they did, the kids didn't know it, but when I would have them do groups, I would, I would organize them in groups of six. I would look for tibia length and put okay. them, put them kind of together just for my visual context. And you know, it's something I was looking at for four years. Yeah. Um, no, that so part's not documented like their tibia length, but it is kind of documented cause it's in video yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. So that's kind of my two cents on that. That's interesting. You brought that up. Well, I've heard you use the word reverse engineering or the term reverse engineering on your podcast. I believe mm -hmm. I, I'm right about that. Mm -hmm. And I think about reverse engineering a lot. I think I have this right when I, when I use it this way, if you go back to, you didn't say it in this way, but soccer players love their cleats to be super tight right? The paddle. Yeah. Like, yeah. So tight that it's amazing. You know, sometimes it's amazing that they can even, you know, if you look at the length of their foot relative to the shoe, it's crazy, right? Well, I can tell you from my experience working in a running shoe store that when they get running shoes, they want them to fit the same as their soccer shoes. Uh, and then you try okay. to explain to them and they just can't relate with it because they're so used to that like coffin or hoagie type feel <laughs> to their shoes. I mean, and so what I'm getting at there is, you know, okay, you have your soccer cleats that way for whatever reason, and you like them that way, but then you're running outside of soccer in shoes that are also shorter than they should be and tighter than they should be. Mm -hmm. And you can see how that could cause bunions and, and all sorts of stuff. Um, that is, I would say that was consistent. Um, I would also, I would actually know a lot of times I would know just from watching them move that they probably played soccer. Uh, if they weren't playing soccer currently at some point they had played soccer mm -hmm. just from their body. But if I didn't, I would ask them 
did you play soccer? Just recognizing how they wanted their shoe to fit. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I think tennis players might fall into this too. And uh, those uh, heel lifts and the tennis shoes are just unbelievable. Volleyball too. Um, Dang. Well, I, when we were talking, I thought about six different directions this conversation can continue in, but I do have to go. So here are the six directions because I want to continue this conversation. Um, I think after this, people, it'll be too much (laughs) info anyways. I would love to talk about the really exciting trends in footwear, um, like maybe expanded toe cages, um, or if that is exciting, I don't know. Um, it's exciting for me because I like toes and in the, in the muscle way. And, um, so some fun, exciting, interesting trends, um, you know, the New York marathon and the Marine Corps marathon saw a lot of one particular shoe that was pink. I'd like to talk about that. I'd like to get my hands on one of those too, which I haven't done yet. Um, number two, um, one of my favorite topics is the subtalar motion and hamstring activation. Okay. That's something I could talk about for a while. I think I could talk about it in a relatable way now that I'm saying it, <laughs> maybe not. Um, or is that a conversation about subtalar motion, foot motion and hip motion? You know, are those yeah. the same conversation? Yeah. Um, I'm glad we didn't get into that this time because I think it would have been too much. It's yeah. It's this, so uh, this, this ended up working <laughs> out really well. I think in the sense of, you know, we covered running shoes pretty well, uh-huh. soccer and how that relates. I think it went pretty well. Okay, guys, thanks so much for tuning in today. Obviously, that was an exciting topic for myself. I love talking about foot strength, ankle strength, and the impact it has all over the body. I would love it if you could go to thinkfitbefitpodcast.com, sign up for the newsletter. On iTunes, we would so appreciate it if you could leave us a review and let other people know what is so helpful about this podcast. Like one or two things that you think could really help someone. Just quick pieces of, um, I don't know, your thoughts and your feelings about hanging out with me and my podcast. The other thing I'd like to let you in on is our podcast show affiliate, Ruby, And that is a high performance drink that I love to consume. I probably have about three of these a week. They are a powdered blend of freeze-dried vegetables and fruits and nothing else. That means all the fiber but in a drink. So I put a little bit of coconut milk and water and mix it up and I have a super nutrient-dense shake. Or maybe it's more of a drink. It's not a shake. So there's no added sugar. There's um, no GMOs, no gluten, and really just a high-nutrient, high-performance drink. Go check them out at impactyourfitness.thrivelife.com slash ruvi r-u-v-i and you will get a free shaker bottle with your first order 
That's impactyourfitness.thrivelife.com slash Ruby. That will, of course, be in the show notes. I so look forward to hearing from you and have a wonderful week.